Welcome to a reading of the Adult Sabbath School Bible Study Guide for April, May and June 2012, titled Major Lessons from Minor Prophets. It's brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. Lesson 8 for May 18-24, Trusting God's Goodness, the Book of Habakkuk. Sabbath afternoon, May 18. Before we start, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to another one of those little books of the Minor Prophets, the book of Habakkuk. And as we open it this week, we know that you've put it there for a reason. Help us to understand more about you and your goodness as we open your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be there to guide us and that we will know of your blessing each day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our memory verse for this week is Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Let's read that again, Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. We may not understand always why tragedy happens, but we can trust God no matter what. And that's our key thought for this week. After preaching about God's abiding presence amid life's adversities, a pastor was confronted by a woman who tearfully asked, Pastor, where was God on the day when my only son died? Reading a deep sorrow on her face, the pastor was silent for a moment and then replied, God was in the same place where he was on the day his only son died, to save us from the eternal death. Like us, Habakkuk witnessed injustice, violence and evil. Even worse, God appeared to be silent amid it all, though he did ask Habakkuk to trust in his promises. The prophet did not live to see the fulfilment of those promises. Yet, he learned to trust in them anyway. His book begins with a complaint to God, but ends with one of the most beautiful songs in the Bible. Like Habakkuk, we must wait in faith until the time when the world will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Sunday, May 19, The Perplexed Prophet Question. Read Habakkuk chapter 1. What are the questions that the prophet asks of God, though his situation is of course different from ours? How often do we find ourselves asking these types of questions? Beginning with verse 1. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? Even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgments proceed. Look among the nations and watch, be utterly astounded. For I will work a work in your days, which you would not believe, though it were told you. 
For indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth, to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards, and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead, their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come to violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings, and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold, for they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Then his mind changes, and he transgresses. He commits offence, ascribing this power to his God." Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One, who shall not die? O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O Rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil, and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look on those who deal treacherously, and hold your tongue when the wicked devours a person more righteous than he? Why do you make men like fish of the sea? like creeping things that have no ruler over them. They take up all of them with a hook, they catch them in their net, and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore they rejoice and are glad. Therefore they sacrifice to their net, and burn incense to their dragnet. Because of them their share is sumptuous, and their food plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net, and continue to slay nations without pity? Habakkuk is unique among prophets because he does not speak for God to the people, but rather he speaks to God about the people. The prophet begins his struggle to understand God's purposes with a cry of bewilderment. How long, O Lord? In the Bible, this question is typical of a lament. We can see um, references to this in uh, Psalms um, chapter 13 and verse 1, and in Jeremiah chapter 12 and verse 4. Let's go to the first one, and it's Psalm 13 verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And then in Jeremiah Chapter 12 and verse 4. How long will the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither? The beasts and birds are consumed for the wickedness of those who dwell there, because they say, He will not see our final end. It implies a situation of crisis from which the speaker seeks deliverance. The crisis about which Habakkuk calls for help is the violence that permeated his society. The original Hebrew word for violence is Hamas, and it is used six times in Habakkuk's book. The term implies acts of injury, both physical and moral, inflicted on others. We read that in Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Being a prophet, Habakkuk knows well how much God loves justice and hates oppression. So he wants to know why God allows injustice to continue. 
All around, he notices violence and law-breaking, and it seems that the wicked triumph over the righteous. Justice is being perverted by the powerful as it was in the time of Amos, and as it so often is today. Let's look at Amos chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I will not turn away its punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the poor for a pair of sandals. They pant after the dust of the earth, which is on the head of the poor, and pervert the way of the humble. A man and his father go in to the same girl and defile my holy name. They lie down by every altar on clothes taken in pledge, and drink the wine of the condemned in the house of their God. God's answer reveals his future plans. The Lord will use the army of Babylon to punish the people. This announcement surprises the prophet. He does not anticipate that God would use such a ruthless army to discipline Judah. In verse 8, the Babylonian cavalry are compared to a leopard, wolf, and eagle, three predators whose speed and power brings violent death to their prey. Babylon's ruthless arrogance acknowledges no accountability, seeks no repentance, offers no reparations. It violates the most fundamental order of created life. God had said that Babylon's army was to be used as a rod of my anger in Isaiah 10 verse 5. The punishment will take place during Habakkuk's lifetime. We read that in verse 5. This whole situation raises even more difficult questions about divine justice. So, to finish today, how can we learn to trust in God's goodness and justice when the world seems so full of badness and injustice? What is our only recourse? Monday, May 20, Living by Faith In Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 12 to 17, God's answer to Habakkuk's questions poses an even more vexing question. Can a righteous God use the wicked to punish those who are more righteous than they? Habakkuk's question in verse 17 has to do with divine justice. Habakkuk was puzzled not only by the degeneration of his own people, but also by the certainty that his country would be judged by another nation, one worse than his own. The prophet was well aware of Judah's sins, but by any standards, his people, particularly the righteous among them, were not as wicked as the pagan Babylonians. Question. Read Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 to 4. What hope is presented there? Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 to 4, which we've just read, is one of the most important passages in the Bible. 
Verse 4 in particular expresses the essence of the gospel, the foundation of the verse that arguably started the Protestant Reformation. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we receive God's righteousness. We are credited with the righteousness of God himself. His righteousness becomes ours. It is what is known as justification by faith. Question. Verse 4 is a summary statement of the way of salvation and of the biblical teaching about justification by faith. How did the New Testament writers use this verse? Well, the first one we'll look at is Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. And Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11. But that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And finally, Romans chapter 1 and verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. In the midst of all this turmoil and questions about evil, justice and salvation, Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 presents a sharp contrast between the faithful and the proud. The conduct of each group determines its fate. The arrogant will fail while the righteous will live by faith. The original Hebrew word for faith, emuna, is best rendered as faithfulness, constancy and dependability. While the one who lives by faith is not saved by his works, his works show that he lives by faith. His faith is revealed in his works, and thus he is promised life eternal. Tuesday, May 21. For the earth shall be filled. Habakkuk 2. God's answer to Habakkuk's question in chapter 1 verse 17, as recorded in chapter 2, continues in the form of a song that mocks the proud oppressor. No less than five woes expressed in verses 6, 9, 12, 15 and 19 affirm the message that Babylon's doom is sealed. Let's read those. Verse 6. Will not all these take up a proverb against him and a taunting riddle against him and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his, how long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges. And verse 9. Woe to him who covets evil gain for his house, that he may set his nest on high, that he may be delivered from the power of disaster. And verse 12. Woe to him who builds a town with bloodshed, who establishes a city by iniquity. And verse 15. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to your bottle, even to make him drunk, that you may look at his nakedness. And Verse 19. Woe to him who says to wood, Awake, to silent stone, Arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in it there is no breath at all. The punishment on the enemy will be in accordance with the measure for measure principle. 
What the wicked do to their victims will in the end be done to them. They will reap what they sow because God cannot be mocked by proud human beings. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 reads, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. In contrast to the oppressor, who is in the end judged by God, the righteous have the promise of eternal life in Christ, regardless of what happens to them here in this life. In describing the faithful remnant at the end of time, the book of Revelation presents the expression the patience of the saints in Revelation 14.12. Indeed, the righteous are persistent in their wait for divine intervention, even if they see it only at the second coming. Question. Read Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 to 13. How do these verses help us as we struggle in our own context with the same questions with which Habakkuk struggled? Beginning at verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith Enoch, was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sands which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. God's ultimate answer to Habakkuk's questions was the affirmation of his abiding presence. Trust in God's presence and have confidence in his judgment, in spite of the appearances to the contrary. That is the message of Habakkuk's book, as well as the message of all biblical revelation. Prophetic faith is trust in the Lord and his unchanging character. 
as Ellen White wrote in Prophets and Kings, page 386 and 387. The faith that strengthened Habakkuk and all the holy and just in those days of deep trial was the same faith that sustains God's people today. In the darkest hours, under circumstances the most forbidding, the Christian believer may keep his soul stayed upon the source of all light and power. Day by day, through faith in God, his hope and courage may be renewed. Wednesday, May 22, Remembering God's Fame Question. Read Habakkuk chapter 3. What is Habakkuk doing there, and why is that so important, especially given the tough circumstances and difficult questions he is facing? Beginning at verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Sigionoth. O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years make it known. In wrath remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. He had rays flashing from his hand, and there his power was hidden. Before him went pestilence and fever followed at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and startled the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills bowed. His ways are everlasting. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian trembled. O Lord, were you displeased with the rivers? Was your anger against the rivers? Was your wrath against the sea that you rode on your horses, your chariots of salvation? Your bow was made quite ready. Oaths were sworn over your arrows, Selah. You divided the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. The overflowing of the water passed by, the deep uttering its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their habitation. At the light of your arrows, they went at the shining of your glittering spear. You marched through the land in indignation. You trampled the nations in anger. You went forth by the salvation of your people, for salvation with your anointed. You struck the head from the house of the wicked, by laying bare from foundation to neck, Selah. You thrust through with his own arrows the head of his villages. They came out like a whirlwind to scatter me. Their rejoicing was like feasting on the poor in secret. You walked through the sea with your horses, through the heap of great waters. When I heard, my voice trembled, my lips quivered at the voice. Rottenness entered my bones, and I trembled in myself, that I might rest in the day of trouble. When he comes up to his people, he will invade them with his troops. Habakkuk ex expresses his acceptance of God's ways in a prayer set to music. Being fully aware of God's power, he asks the Lord to remember his mercy when the judgment comes. The prophet reverently recalls reports of God's great acts in the past and is praying to him to bring redemption now. He seems to stand between the times. 
With one eye, he looks back to the Exodus event, while with the other, he looks ahead to the day of the Lord. He longs for a display of God's power in his present situation. The hymn from chapter 3 poetically describes God's deliverance of Israel from the Egyptian bondage. What has happened at the time of the Exodus is a foreshadowing of the great judgment day. The godly should not be anxious about the day of the Lord, but they must wait, persevere and rejoice in the hope that is theirs. The hymn is also a celebration of the power, glory and victorious nature of God. The Lord is described as sovereign over the whole earth. The revelation of his glory is comparable to the splendor of the sunrise in verse 4. God judges the oppressive nations, yet at the same time, he brings about the redemption of his people in his chariots of salvation, in verse 8. On the surface, God's power is not always visible, but the person of faith knows that God is there no matter what. Habakkuk calls us to look expectantly for the Lord's salvation when he will establish his righteousness on earth and fill the world with his glory. By singing praises to the Lord, the people of God encourage one another to meditate on God's past acts and to hope for the glorious future. Let's see what we find in Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 19 and 20. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts, to the Lord. Habakkuk's own example demonstrates how one can persevere by living with a vision. So, to finish today, dwell upon God's past leading in your life. How does this past leading help you to learn to trust Him and His goodness no matter what the immediate future brings? Why is it always so important to look to the ultimate and eternal future that awaits us? Thursday, May 23, God is our strength. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 to 19 reads, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labour of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on his high hills. Question. What is so good about the prophet's attitude here? How can we be able to cultivate such an attitude for ourselves? Well, let's see what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. The closing words in Habakkuk's book express the prophet's response to the revelation of God's power and goodness. 
A fresh look at God's saving acts sparks Habakkuk's courage as he awaits the enemy's attack. His fear stirs his innermost being as he waits for divine judgment to fall upon his nation. Invasion may result in the devastation of the fig and olive trees, so highly prized in Palestine, along with the equally needed vines, grain and cattle. But the prophet's staunch faith remains untouched because he has had a vision of the living Lord. Based on his past experiences, Habakkuk knows of God's absolute faithfulness. That is why he resigns himself to God's present purposes. In spite of all the unfavorable circumstances, the prophet is determined to place his trust in the Lord and in his goodness, no matter how hopeless his situation appears. So Habakkuk waits in faithful trust, even though there are no immediate signs of salvation. He is a prophet who, through dialogue, taunts and a hymn of praise, has instructed the faithful over the ages to develop a deeper living faith in the Redeemer. By his own example, he encourages the godly to dialogue with God, to test their loyalty to him in harsh times, to develop hope in the Lord and to praise him. Habakkuk closes his book with a beautifully expressed attitude of faith. Regardless of how hard life may become, one may find joy and strength in God. The underlying message of his book points to the need to wait patiently for God's salvation in a period of oppression that has no visible end. The theme of waiting on the Lord dominates Habakkuk's book. How especially relevant that theme should be for us as Seventh-day Adventists, we whose very name expresses our faith in the coming of Jesus. Friday, May 24. Abraham J. Herschel, in his book The Prophets, page 143, writes, There is an answer to Habakkuk's question. It is an answer not in terms of thought, but in terms of events. God's answer will happen, but it cannot be spelled out in words. The answer will surely come. If it seems slow, wait for it. True, the interim is hard to bear. The righteous one is horrified by what he sees. To this, the great answer is given, the righteous shall live by his faith. It is an answer again, not in terms of thought, but in terms of existence. Prophetic faith is trust in him, in whose presence stillness is a form of understanding. Ellen White writes in Prophets and Kings, page 387 and 388, we must cherish and cultivate the faith of which prophets and apostles have testified. The faith that lays hold on the promises of God and waits for deliverance in his appointed time and way. The sure word of prophecy will meet its final fulfillment in the glorious advent of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. As King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the time of waiting may seem long, the soul may be oppressed by discouraging circumstances, many in whom confidence has been placed may fall by the way. But with the prophet who endeavoured to encourage Judah in a time of unparalleled apostasy, let us confidently declare, The Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth 
keep silence before him. And that brings us to our three discussion questions for this week. One, summarise Habakkuk's dialogue with God. What was his basic complaint? How did he respond to God's answers? Two, could it be that in God's eyes, having honest questions and even doubts are a more acceptable religious attitude than a mere superficial belief? Justify your answer. Three, Seventh-day Adventists of past generations all believed that Christ would have been back by now and that they would have seen the ultimate fulfilment of all these wonderful promises. How do we learn to maintain faith as we, another generation, await his return? And now it's time for Inside Story, our mission story for this week. It's titled, It's Fun Sharing Jesus. Joshua Wade lives in the United States. He loves to share God's love with others and has found many ways to do it. Recently, Joshua's family moved from their country home into a new home in town. Joshua wondered how he could tell the children in his new neighborhood about his friend Jesus. When he heard that some children would be going from house to house collecting treats to celebrate Halloween, he wondered what he could do to turn this holiday that didn't honour God into a chance to share God's love. Then he had an idea. My brother Stephen and I decided that we could make cookies and put a Bible verse with each cookie, Joshua said. The boys knew that Halloween can be scary and its emphasis on witches and ghosts, so... The boys chose Bible verses that talked about peace. They printed the Bible verses on the family computer and tied one to each cookie bag. As darkness fell on October 31, children began arriving at the family's door dressed as princesses, witches, dinosaurs and superheroes. Joshua and Stephen greeted each child and dropped a bag cookie into the waiting sacks. There's something special for you with your cookie, they told each child. The children seemed happy to receive the home-baked cookies. Joshua and Stephen decided to expand their cookie giving to other times of the year. As Valentine's Day approached, the boys baked more cookies and gave them to people in a nursing home and to shut-ins and neighbours who lived alone. It was great to see the smiles on people's faces when we stopped to visit them, Joshua said. But Joshua doesn't limit his sharing of God's love to cookie-making. He helps people with their yard work, picks up trash and rakes leaves. We go to the nursing home to visit people who don't get visitors, he says. That can be very lonely. Joshua has found many ways to tell others about Jesus. Sharing God's love is more than quoting Bible verses to people, he says. Others should see Jesus in our kind acts and words. I want to be sure that others see Jesus in me. Sharing God's love and supporting God's world mission with our offerings are important ways to spread God's message to a love-starved world. This reading has been brought to you by the Sabbath School Department, Christian Services for the Blind and Hearing Impaired, and through the services of Adventist Media Network. It is worth remembering that God is always faithful.